from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. Hello Earthlings and welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your overview of everything important on the planet Earth. I'm Eric S. Piotrowski, a writer and educator in Wisconsin, USA. I am known as Duke Scath in the world of video games and Twitter, aka Scartol in the world of Wikipedia and Reddit. Today is Thanksgiving Day, uh, Thursday, the 25th of November, 2021. On this show, I bring you a range of news stories, historical and literary perspectives, and my opinions on topics like current events, war, human rights, economics, education, hip-hop music, and killer robots. So buckle up and let's get started. A little bit better than dope is A brand new kid to show biz With knowledge I persevere But if I now do me a favor, favor. Let me in here And we can find a rhyme to fill in space And drop the base So, yeah, I just, uh, oof I'm thankful for a lot of things And, uh, top among them is having a safe warm home we are having a light snowfall here on thanksgiving day Uh, i'm thankful of course for my wife and my family and my friends we're gonna have some i guess the kids are calling it friendsgiving now we call it snacksgiving because of a email typo back in the day so shout out to the folks coming over on saturday and uh yeah i'm thankful for all the blessings i have in my life a job that i love uh students who are inquisitive and curious Not all my students are inquisitive and curious. The Duchess can tell you that I complain a lot about the students who are not, but um, a bunch of them are, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, Yeah, we're undergoing this big move next year. The uh, second high school in Sun Prairie is going to open up, so we're preparing for that because half of the staff at the high school are going over to the new school, and I have no idea where I'm going. They're going to announce that to us pretty soon, and it's going to be a big hullabaloo either way they're redesigning some parts of the school that i'm currently in and the new school is built according to some design principles that are a little different than the ones i might choose Uh, a lot to do with openness and sharing of spaces and things and i mean whatever i guess i'm kind of a traditionalist in that sense but whatever this is not the complaining syncast this is the thanksgiving syncast um yeah i'm thankful for books and video games and um, great movies and TV shows, nine, nine. And I am thankful for modern communication, uh, possibilities that allow me to do the veteran gamers podcast every week, as well as the syncast. I am thankful for my friends on, uh, you know, the internet that I've never actually met in real life, but, uh, you know, Brian and Amar and Jacinta and all the folks, uh, that I have been able to interview over the years for the syncast and human connection that's really what it's at the heart of it so along those lines i have an interview that i want to share with you today because i am especially thankful for uh, my family and uh, my mom and her husband rob uh, who's a really great guy Uh, my father passed away when i was 16 years old as many of you know and uh yeah my mom's been through a whole lot but uh she's never stopped searching for human connections and uh you know ways to be happier and uh so when i was visiting uh, the folks down in florida over this past summer i wanted to make a special uh, uh 
point of interviewing my mom and her husband, Rob. And uh, I think they have some really interesting stories to tell about where they've been and things they've done. So I want to share that with you today. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having these conversations with them. So without any further ado, here comes the interview with Rob. And then we will follow it up with uh, the interview with my mom, Linda. So enjoy. Have a great holiday season, everybody. I have a lot to say about all the stuff going on in the news, but I'll tell you about that next time. And for now, let's just go ahead and listen to these interviews. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Stop repenting because the end of this near. But don't panic. You can't function if you live in a fear. Pay attention. You got to listen to hear. Wait a minute. All right, I'm here with Rob Coglin. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay, great. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he's my stepdad, and I thought it'd be interesting to talk to him about uh, the, his life, his things he's done, and where he's been. So, um, yeah, welcome, Rob. Welcome. How are you? Good. Thank you. Um, so let's start with, I know you've done a whole lot of interesting genealogy work and yeah. learned a lot about your family. We could probably spend an hour talking about just that, but oh, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, in a nutshell, like where's your family from? What's one or two of the most interesting things you learned in that genealogy research? Well, uh, my mother's family originally came from, uh, the Connecticut area. They migrated West to New York. Uh, we found out one Part of the family, uh, one of the children was abducted by the Iroquois during the French and Indian War. He spent four years with the Iroquois and then he was bought back by his father. And uh, they moved from western New York to Wisconsin. <clears throat> they were dairy farmers. And then uh, they ended up in uh, the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. Uh, and they were members of the Union Army during the Civil War. On my father's side, most of the family was from Virginia and the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. The Virginia clan, uh, I had two great-great-grandfathers that were in the Confederacy. Uh, One was captured the day before Gettysburg and held at uh, Fort McHenry, Maryland. And then he was let go and uh, repatriated in exchange for other prisoners. And uh, on the other side of of his family, uh, one of my great-great-grandfathers was in the Union uh, D.C. militia, and he was a member of the guard that guarded Lincoln during his second inaugural parade. And that's about it. Yeah, so when and where were you born? I was born in Pensacola, Florida in the Panhandle, uh, 1947, and mm-hmm. my dad was a member, he was a lifer in the Navy, and uh, he moved around a lot, and I, I ended up uh, near his family in Maryland. I went to school there, and right out of school, I went into the Marine Corps. Did you know that was what you, something you wanted to do, or uh, what drove no, that decision? No, the reason why I went into the Marine Corps, there were Five of us that ran around together, and three of us decided we were going to go into the buddy system right. during the 60s, which was a big thing. Yeah. The only thing we didn't realize is that we were buddies on the bus to Paris Island, but that's the last time we saw each other oh, wow. in four years. <laughs> I was in the infantry. I was a weapons squad leader. Uh, we had machine guns and 3.5 rocket launchers. Wow. Uh, I spent time in North Carolina. 
uh, went to Southeast Asia. When I came back, I was an instructor in the Panama Canal Zone. The Army had a uh, counter-guerrilla warfare school. I was an instructor there for three months, and then uh, I came back. I was in the military police. I got out of the military and uh, became a state trooper with the Maryland State Police. Left there for a promotion with the federal government, with the Federal Protective Service, and then they decided they were going to send me somewhere where they weren't supposed to send me. So I left there and joined the city police in Baltimore City. From there, uh, I left police work and went to work for a power company, BG&E, in Baltimore, and uh, I spent 27 years with that organization, five of which I was a consultant after I retired the first time. Mm -hmm. And then I retired in 2012, 2015, I came back to Florida. Yeah. And I met your wonderful mother in 2017, and we got married in 2018. Absolutely. And that's when I got to meet you. Um, So, yeah, there's a whole lot uh, in that sort of overview, obviously. What would you say was something interesting or important that you learned about yourself in the Marine Corps? I learned uh, that was a very proud time of my, my, my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I earned the title Marine, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of people don't understand, but mm-hmm. when you go through that boot camp, you definitely earn the title of United States Marine, and I'm yeah. proud of that. Sure. Learned in the Marine Corps how to put one step in front of the other and just keep going. Mm-hmm. And that led me to uh, law enforcement, mm-hmm. and uh, from law enforcement, to uh, the power company. Yeah. But uh, it was uh, educational, to say the least. Oh, uh, sure. To, tra- to travel the world. Yeah. And then, I understand you have a Purple Heart. Yep. Anything you can tell us about, sort of what happened there? Well, uh, unfortunately, it was 60 days before I was supposed to rotate. Oh, no. And uh, what happened is uh, my unit was sent, uh, it was a platoon-sized patrol, mm-hmm. And they got ambushed, Mm. so they sent out what they call a reactionary unit, Mm -hmm. which I was a part of. And along with me was a lieutenant who had just come in country. And uh, he was being a little too close to me, Mm. and I kept trying to tell him to spread out. And I wasn't paying attention, and I stepped on a booby trap. Oh, my goodness. And I got punji stakes in the left foot and some shrapnel in the left leg and knee. Yikes. But, I mean, it was a baby, a baby wound, really. Mm. I, I mean, it kept me off my feet for a couple of weeks. But other than that, I, I did okay. Easily could have been worse, I imagine. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah. If it would have been an American grenade, I probably lost my left leg at the knee. Yeah, But sure, luckily, sure. it had been in the ground so long yeah. that it really wasn't that powerful. Sure, so I sure. was I was lucky. Yeah. And in terms of being uh, in the in the police... Uh, what would you say was one of the most interesting challenges of that job or uh, something that you, I mean, you get to see society in a different way. Yeah, unfortunately you do. You get to see uh, all views of society, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was uh, a member of the guys who captured Arthur Bremer, who shot George Wallace. You were there that day. Yeah, I was yeah. there. Uh, I was the, in 
the picture when they showed the police car pulling off. I was the guy driving the police car <laughs> with Bremer in the car. And uh, the car behind us was a county police officer who had taken uh, George Wallace's uh, chief uh, security person who had been shot. Mm. And we got him to the hospital and put Mr. Bremer in jail. Were you in danger during that incident? Or? No, everything happened in front of me. Yeah, uh, I was behind Arthur Bremer when he started shooting. Wow. So really nothing was aimed in our direction. Mm-hmm. We moved in behind him and captured him on the ground. Plenty scary, though, I imagine. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, you had a lot of panic, everybody running every which way. Oh, but sure. Hard to keep yourself. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Do you find yourself? Well, that's part of the Marine training. Mm. Uh, we were taught to go towards the sound of gunfire, and right, that's right. what you do. And well, uh, most of us run the other way. No, yeah, so well, that's the scary part. Not all the time. Well, I certainly would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then the state right. So the state trooper uh, work yeah. well, was. Well, I, I was a state trooper when that happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, after mm-hmm. I left the state police and went to the federal government, mm-hmm. I worked for the National Security Agency, right. and we had just taken over from the Marine Corps, who was. The security there right and unfortunately they told me uh, i was a sergeant there and they told me that i couldn't go anywhere else in the federal government for a three-year period well after 18 months they decided well you know we just had a big stink up in philadelphia so we're going to promote you to lieutenant and send you to philadelphia <laughs> and i said well i don't want to go to philadelphia and they said well you don't have a choice i said well yes i do i'm resigning right, right. so i left the federal protective service <laughs> And uh, I joined the Baltimore City Police, which was a unique experience, to say the least. Uh, working in the inner city of a major city is uh, pretty pretty rough. You see some things that uh, make you wonder how people treat each other. Yeah, sure. It's it's eye-opening, to say the least. Yeah, and that's in the 70s? Or was this in the 80s at this point? 80s. 80s. Yeah. Late 70s, early uh-huh. 80s. Sure, sure. Yeah. And then did you choose to go to... Baltimore, it's a power and light? Well, uh, what happened is that uh, I had married and I had two stepsons. Mm -hmm. And I was actually working three jobs to make ends meet. Wow. So, sorry, uh, it was a police officer. What were the others? Well, I was a a trooper with the Maryland State Police. When I left there, I became a sergeant with the Federal Protective Service, which was uh, a promotion. It was uh, more money. And I had a chance to go different places, mm-hmm. but uh, unfortunately, they decided that uh, the contract I signed really didn't mean anything to them, just to me. So mm-hmm. I left there and went, and I was a patrolman yeah. with Baltimore City Police. Right. And in Baltimore City, unfortunately, at that time, um, they had things going on where you have, you know, they were promoting uh, minorities and women mm-hmm. because of the past them not getting the opportunities, so they're giving them opportunities. And yeah. unfortunately, uh, when you took a test, it really didn't mean anything. Mm. Uh, I, the first time I took the sergeant's test, I was seventh, mm. and they promoted two people behind me. Mm. And then the second time, uh, I was third on the mm. list, and they promoted five people after me. Mm. So at that time... Uh, and working three jobs, I just thought that uh, I had a chance to go with BG&E, which mm-hmm. was uh, a very good job at the moment. Everybody wanted to work for the company. Mm. 
And what kind uh, of work were you doing? Uh, I was a high-tension cable splicer and fault locator. So you were the guy up <clears throat> on the poles and stuff? Well, I, I did everything underground, Okay. but I did from underground to the pole. Yeah, sure. I worked in a bucket truck for 25 years. Was that scary to be up there with the high well, electricity stuff? It, it could be dangerous. Uh, in fact, I went from being a police officer, which was considered the seventh most dangerous job in the country, mm. to the fourth most dangerous. Oh, wow. But... You know, I never gave it a thought because uh, our safety practices were very strict. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the things I found with working with contractors, which I did later in my career, Mm -hmm. that their safety protocols were much different from ours. Mm. So that's one of the things when they started bringing contractors in to do the same work we were doing, we started having fatalities. Which, I guess it's a re- there's a reason they're cheaper, huh? Well, they're cheaper. You don't have to pay them uh, yeah. benefits. They would ask them, do you have a safety program? And if they said yes and handed you a safety program, that's all you needed. Yeah. Well, that's where I came in when I became a, a contractor and a consultant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had me following contractors around and making sure they were following our safety standards. Right, right. And And did they ever get resentful? Like if you said, like, you're not doing that right? Well, they see the only, you as like an outsider or something? No. The only, the only problem we had is uh, some of the companies I had worked for us were union companies. Mm-hmm. And the union companies went by a different set of standards right. than our company did. Sure. So we had a, a conflict in the nomenclature of words. And mm-hmm. in other words, if you were in a bucket truck yeah. and you had a man down the ground, he was supposed to, in, in our company... The down man was a safety man. Yeah, sure. He didn't do anything. Yeah. When that bucket moved, his job was to make sure that he didn't get that in trouble. Right. When you had a contractor, the down man was somebody they just picked off the street oh, that goodness. day, <laughs> and he had no idea yeah. what that bucket was doing. Right. So that was part of the problem we had. Sure. And, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why I ended up coming back after I retired, and I did it for five years, mm. was basically watching contractor crews and make sure they followed our safety requirements. Yeah, sure. And you've remained involved in some sort of ancillary way. I don't really know much about, like volunteering with the state patrol. Is that right? You occasionally well, will do? I, I volunteer for Crime Watch here okay. in the county. Okay. It's for the county sheriff's gotcha. department. Gotcha. And basically all we do is we're the eyes, if we see something happens, we call it in, right. and then they send the deputy. Sure. Most of the things we do is we check houses that the snowbirds have left, right. and they're coming back a certain time. So sure. we we guard the houses, and we make sure that nobody's breaking into them, and if we gotcha. find something, we call it in. You don't have to do any investigation? Right? No, you know, no, no. They, they really limit to what we can do sure. due to, uh, I leave the right word, they... they Worry about uh, their their liability. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know, So they control uh, a lot of what we do. Mm-hmm. And your kids are how old? Uh, Paul is forty six. He's an aircraft mechanic for Southwest. Mm-hmm. And Gregory's forty three, yeah. and he's a structural engineer in North Carolina. He works for a private firm, and they basically do contracts to rebuild bridges for North Carolina. Yeah, excellent. And which one's your favorite? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, neither. <laughs> okay. Very good. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Yeah. They're both 
good young men, and sure. uh, Paul's got four children and three mm-hmm. girls and a boy. Excellent. And uh, Gregory has two adopted Chinese children who are both young men who are going to be uh, brilliant. That's great. <laughs> That's all I can say. They're yeah. very intelligent young young men. Sure, sure. But of all the places you live, like, what is there any place that is particularly dear to you or that there are things about it that you miss? Well, yeah. Uh, Baltimore, I, I really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss the sports there. I'm mm-hmm. a fanatic for the football and baseball team. Yeah. And uh, what I liked about Baltimore was uh, they had a lot of uh, festivals mm-hmm. during fall, spring, and summer. They have a lot of festivals. Yeah. Which was it was it was very family oriented. Mm-hmm. It was it was good, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, uh, they've had a lot of problems and a lot of crime in the mm-hmm. last twenty years. It's been going downhill. So mm-hmm. the only thing I don't miss about it is the cold and the snow. Oh sure. If I never see snow again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, Diane. So was, tell us about Diane. Yeah, Diane was my second wife. I was married for six years, right. and. Uh, my first wife decided she didn't want to be married anymore, mm. so we broke up. And after a seven-year hiatus, I met Diane, and we married. And she already had two children, who mm. are stepsons, mm. and we were married for thirty-seven years. How did she, you meet? Uh, believe it or not, we met on a blind date oh. from a friend of the police department. Nice. Uh, they grew up together. He said, "Come, come to this bar and dance with her. I don't want to dance with her." <laughs> So we danced, we hit it off, and a year later got married. That's great. And uh, we made 37 years. Unfortunately, she had a bad bout of uh, pneumonia, which mm. she became septic, and Oof. basically she went into kidney failure. Oh, I'm sorry. And when was that? Yeah. 2017. 2017. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, was there anything else you wanted to talk about or uh, things that I've missed out or not followed up on? No, no. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciated the opportunity well, to learn a little more about you. Thank you for having this discussion. Find it interesting to have these conversations. So thank you. Thank you. Unforgettable That's what you are Unforgettable Though near or far Like a song of love That clings to me How the thought of you Does things to me Never before Has someone been born Unforgettable in every way. All right, I am here with my mom, Linda Lewis Piotrowski Lavery Coglin. Yes, hi, mom. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's quite so, a moniker. Yeah, well, you know, uh, every part of it is important. So, tell me a little bit about the Lewis family. Before they came to the United States, their name well, wasn't Lewis, was it? No. Okay. Name was actually Lefkovich. And they came, um, well, my grandparents came from Russia 
And my brother and I used to have to write our name on our school papers every day, and my father felt badly for us. So he changed our name from Lefkovich to Lewis. And uh, my maternal grandparents lived near us. My paternal grandparents, I really never knew. My paternal grandfather died very early in my life. And um, I never knew my my paternal grandmother either. Mm. But my mother had four sisters. So I had four aunts and uncles. And um, and where was she in that order of? She was the second to the youngest. Okay. And I grew up in Boston. And my father came home and died one night after work when I was seven and my brother was 11, mm-hmm. which had a very difficult impact on my life. Of course. Of course, we had very close aunts and uncles, and our grandparents came to live with us so my mother could go to work. Were the aunts and uncles living in that same area in Boston? No. Okay. Uh, my grandparents were till they came to live with us, but then they lived towards the North Shore around Marblehead, Swampscott. So we moved to Lynn to be closer to them, right. which was very nice because we lived right across the street from the beach. There you go. Spent a lot of time there. And um, I graduated from high school and then went to Boston State Teachers College. I decided I want to be a teacher. Why did you decide that? Like, what was it that made you want to be a teacher? Well, when I was growing up, my girlfriend Eleanor Cates and I always played school after school. <laughs> and I always loved school. I always was a good student. And I just always wanted to be a teacher. Were there any teachers that had an impact on you? Yes. One in particular was my uh, fourth grade teacher, Miss Mira. And I just loved her, respected her a lot. And, of course, in high school, I had um, a French teacher that was wonderful, Miss Thielen. And I actually met her after I became a teacher again. Told her I had become a teacher, and she was so happy. Mm. And um, then um, I met my first husband when I was studying to be a teacher. He was going to MIT. And that was my dad. Yes. yes. And... Uh, we got married in 1966. Sorry, how did you meet? Uh, we got fixed up by one of George's roommates, mm-hmm. and his girlfriend was my closest friend, so they fixed us up. We went to the drive-in movie on our first day. Do you remember what the movie was? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> and um, we... Got married, then we moved to East Cleveland, Ohio, because George was going to get his doctorate at Case Western Reserve. So I taught fourth grade there. and Was that your first year teaching? Yes. What was your first year teaching like? It was, I loved it, but it was in a very dysfunctional school. The principal was terrible, and we had a very nice vice principal. He was more in control of things than the principal was. But I wound up with very bad panic attacks from being in that environment and also from the loss of my father. Mm -hmm. So 
1969, we moved to Gainesville, Mm -hmm. and I got really good help Mm -hmm. for my panic attacks and overcame them and had our two beautiful sons. Wait, wait, wait. You have three sons? Oh, you're including me in that. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, sorry. Uh, Yeah, and dad moved. So Gainesville was because dad got hired at the University of Florida? Yes, he was a biomechanics professor, had a joint appointment in mechanical engineering and Department of Orthopedic Surgery. And... We had a wonderful life. I went back to teaching. When and you, you were at Idlewild first? Yeah, was that your first That was my spot? first yeah. job, yeah. I taught elementary school mm-hmm. for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then we had, you know, wonderful, we had a condo at St. Augustine. We spent the summers, had a timeshare in North Carolina. I used to go up there and play in the snow and mm-hmm. the week after Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then I decided after 10 years, I was kind of frustrated in my job because parents weren't the most support. Some parents weren't supportive. So I decided I would open a children's bookstore in Gainesville called The Little Bookworm. And I opened that in 1991. And then George got multiple myeloma. And he died in 1992. And after he died, even though I loved my bookstore, I closed it. And I went back to teaching, which I loved. And I taught at Westwood Middle School. And then I went to Rawlings Elementary for half a year. And was there some, were, were there things you liked about middle school? Or did you always prefer elementary? Uh, no. I I liked elementary when I started, Mm -hmm. but I felt like I outgrew it. Mm. And I went to middle school. Um, I loved the age. uh, I loved the students. Mm. I taught children who had behavior problems, which I adored. And was that like a choice of yours? Yes. Why did you choose to take on the most challenging work in the school? Because I knew what those students needed. They needed respect. They needed love, understanding, work that was appropriate for them. And I proved everybody that, you know, they could succeed. And from there, I went to the alternative school in Gainesville, which I absolutely adored. It was my favorite teaching job Mm -hmm. because everyone in the school was on the same page. Mm Every student had a behavior sheet, and they, you know, evaluated their own behavior. The mm-hmm. teachers or the aides did not. Right. We stopped twice a period, and they had certain behaviors, and if they were adhering to those behaviors, they earned points. At the end of the day, if they had X number of points, they got a reward. used mm-hmm. to spend half my salary at Sam's Club <laughs> on rewards. Then on Friday, if they had a certain number of points, they got to go to special activities like out with the coach Mm -hmm. or to watch a movie and the teacher would pop popcorn, Mm -hmm. uh, go to the computer lab. Mm -hmm. And those that didn't have enough points went to study hall. But it was a wonderful school with high behavioral and educational expectations. Mm -hmm. And we saved a lot of children's lives. Mm -hmm. 
I loved it there. It was wonderful. That was my best teaching experience. How would you say the world of education, or at least your experience of it, changed over time? Like when you think about where you were your first year teaching and then where you were later on. When I first started teaching in Ottawa, I had very supportive parents because I had mostly upper-middle-class children. Mm -hmm. As I moved into working with children who had behavior problems, a lot of them came from dysfunctional backgrounds, Mm -hmm. and they needed the support at school that they didn't necessarily get at home. Mm -hmm. A lot of them lived with grandparents and who who did the best they could. Mm -hmm. But by the time I went to Aquin Jones, the alternative school, I really began to realize that a child's educational performance is molded by his home life Mm -hmm. and the people who either do or don't support him. And so at that school, we had to kind of be more than teachers. Mm -hmm. We had to be parents and psychologists and teachers. and, And it was wonderful. I loved it. Because everybody who was there, well, most everybody, really wanted to be in that school. Mm-hmm. And we all handled behavior problems the same way. Mm-hmm. If they couldn't be handled in the classroom, and we all had a timeout room so the children could take, you know, a couple of minutes, go in the timeout room. And I remember I bought a boom box and a pillow and a comforter, put my timeout room, and then all of a sudden I started realizing was having a lot of behavior problems in my <laughs> class. And then I realized they wanted to go in the timeout room and lay down and listen to music, which was okay. But it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful school when I taught there, and I'm really glad I had the experience of learning what I learned there. Yeah. And then after that, you retired from teaching? or No. I actually... Let's see, I married my second husband who had lost his wife. Right. And how did you meet Chip? Uh, we met at Trinity United Methodist Church in a singles group, mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. Right. And Chip had gone to the Naval Academy. He was a nuclear submariner. Mm-hmm. And we were married for nine years. And um, he had five sons. And we had grandchildren and wonderful life again and he start, he didn't want to he was an engineer also he didn't want to do engineering so he started a payroll and timekeeping business and we lived in Gainesville but we thought about moving near the beach mm-hmm. so we looked at a place in Palm Coast which was beautiful and then I got a job teaching in St. Augustine and I lived in the beach condo until we could, you know, make arrangements to move. Mm-hmm. And he used to come out on the weekends, or I'd go back to Gainesville on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Mostly he would come out to St. Augustine. The weekend of homecoming at the University of Florida, I was going to take Friday off. We were going to take one of our grandsons to the homecoming parade. And... When I was getting ready to go to school on Thursday, 
I got a call from North Florida Regional Hospital telling me that Chip had died. Mm -hmm. He had lung cancer. He was a nuclear submariner and was on submarines that had asbestos. Mm -hmm. And when he was in the Navy, he smoked. Mm -hmm. So he died of lung cancer. And that was horrific again. So I quit my job in St. Augustine, went back to Gainesville, got a job at Aquin Jones. And uh, then I just taught, and um, then I met my late fiancé, and he lived in Citrus County, so... This is Bob? Yeah. I came to Citrus County. Mm -hmm. I retired from Gainesville, Mm -hmm. and um, I taught here, Floral City, for a year as a reading resource teacher. Mm And that was a nice school. It was an elementary school, and I liked what I did. Mm-hmm. And then we went, sometimes I'd go back to Gainesville just to visit friends and whatnot. And then we went on vacation in 2011, and we went to visit his daughter in New Hampshire, and then my brother and sister-in-law in New York, and he ended up needing to go to the hospital for heart problems. He also had COPD, and after living in the waiting room of the hospital, Columbia Presbyterian, for three months, I came back to Florida to check on our dogs and our houses, and while I was at his house, a friend came at night and told me that he had died. Mm. So I stayed in Citrus County at his house for another year, and... Then I went back to Gainesville. Actually, while I was staying at that house, I went back and forth to Gainesville to substitute. Mm-hmm. And then, what was the exp- sorry? What was the experience of substitute teaching like? Had you done subbing before? Yeah, yeah. I subbed before I went back to full time teaching when you guys, you know, were first starting right. at Brentwood. Yeah, and um, it was okay. I mean, I knew everybody in the schools mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of my colleagues. You know, I subbed at A. Quinn where I knew everybody in Westwood. So you got to have some of that connection to the right, place, but right. not have to maybe grade a million papers all the time. I didn't care about that. <laughs> I figured it was part of my job. So then I decided, well, I had sold the condo and built a house in Palm Coast while after Chip died because I thought, well, if I move... If I build a house in Palm Coast, maybe I'll meet some people because mm-hmm. I never met anybody at the condo when I went out there. Mm-hmm. And then when I met Bob, we talked about buying a house in Citrus County. Mm-hmm. So I sold the house in Palm Coast, which I wish we had now, <laughs> Rob and I had now, but you did what you thought was appropriate at the time. Sure. And then I decided after I went back to Gainesville, after subbing for a couple more years, I decided it was time for a change. It was just too sad living in Gainesville. Mm-hmm. So I thought, where do I want to go? Well, I want to go back to the beach, but most of my friends that I knew who lived in St. Augustine were all married. And I did have friends here. I had a lot of friends in Citrus County. So mm-hmm. I decided I'd look for a house here. Mm-hmm. And then I found this beautiful house. And... After dating some frogs, <laughs> Prince Charming, no. in the form of Rob, came 
we met online, mm-hmm. and uh, we had our first date at Michello's Italian restaurant. All right. We tell them they have good vibes there. Yeah. And after our date, I went out to the car and I said, oh, I have something for you. And Rob said, oh, I have something for you. Mm-hmm. And um, I brought him a sour cream coffee cake, <laughs> and he brought me a dozen red roses, oh. and the rest is history. Oh, that's very sweet. And we feel very, very blessed. Mm-hmm. Two of them at, we have a wonderful new life together and eight grandchildren. And, you know, Citrus County is very different from Gainesville in that it's mostly conservative Republicans. Mm -hmm. Gainesville is mostly liberal Democrats. Mm -hmm. But we have joined some Democratic groups and we belong to the Moose Lodge before the pandemic. You know, we used to go and go to karaoke, I love to sing, and mm-hmm. so we have made some friends, and we go down to the villages, listen to music, and have dinner. Hopefully when the pandemic ends, we'll be able to go places. We also got a, an RV, so we can take our three wacko dogs <laughs> and put them in the RV and yeah. go wherever we want. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I didn't mention that had an impact on my life also is when I was dating your father, I was raised Jewish and he was raised Protestant. And uh, it was very difficult for us to date, much like I was going to say interracial dating is now, but it it isn't. I mean, <laughs> it's no big deal, but we had to sneak around, as it were, and uh, date secretly. And then finally, one of my uncles intervened and said to my mother, you know, are you crazy? What more could you want for your daughter? But what this wonderful man's going to be able to offer her. Mm-hmm. And so she uh, realized he was right. Mm-hmm. And we had a beautiful wedding at the MIT chapel. It was at the MIT chapel? Mm-hmm. Did, did your family want it to be like at a synagogue or something? No. Or they were okay? No. Okay. <laughs> I remember telling my mother that we talked to a rabbi and uh, he said for $500 he'd marry us. <laughs> my mother said, uh, tell him never mind. <laughs> so the chaplain from Harvard married us at the MIT chapel because the chaplain from MIT was on vacation. It was in the summer. So it all worked out. And and you, you raised us with like, we went to the Unitarian Fellowship. Were there any things that you thought in that part of life in terms of like, metaphysics thinking about god or gods like what what did you what what did you want us to sort of think about or well the most thing the most important thing that i had been taught even though my father used to take us to temple when i went to hebrew school my brother was bar mitzvah is how you treat people you know treat people the way you want to be treated be loving kind you know all the things that we all want for our children and grandchildren. And it it didn't seem to have any particular religion mm-hmm. that professed that. We felt like all religions professed that. Yeah. And so we went to the Unitarian Fellowship because we had friends who had both the same as we did. Mm-hmm. 
Um, she had been raised Jewish and he had been raised Protestant. And so we tried it out and we liked it also because there were a lot of thinking people there. Mm. That's not to say other churches don't have thinking people, but we liked it. Mm-hmm. And we went there and didn't have a great religious education for you guys, but we stayed there and uh, we had daddy's celebration of life there. Mm-hmm. But then I met Chip in a Methodist group, mm-hmm. and we started going to church at Trinity Methodist, and that was wonderful. You know, people were loving and thinking and mm-hmm. the same kind of people. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it was nice because there was a little more religion and mm-hmm. people didn't scowl when you mentioned the word God. Right. And then Bob had been raised Catholic and mm-hmm. Rob was raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. and. You know, I went to a very small group of people with Bob. Mm -hmm. Wasn't really a church per se. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't very comfortable. I mean, the people in the parish were nice, but it didn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. It was too judgmental. Mm -hmm. So, and then Rob and I really haven't gone any place because, well, we tried a couple of places and they didn't feel right. And then. Then the pandemic started, and, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I said before, your religion is how you live your life. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to a temple or a church or any, or a mosque. Mm-hmm. So we live our religion every day. Yeah. If you were to give one piece of advice to younger listeners or maybe people starting out in teaching, what would it be? Well, if you really want to be a teacher... Go ahead and do it because what they say is if you have a profession you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's how I feel about teaching. If you really don't want to do it and you're just doing it for a job, find something else to do. Because there are a lot of children out there who need you and you can make a difference in their lives. And I hope you're as blessed as I've been to have, you know, three magnificent husbands and wonderful sons and stepsons and grandchildren and good health and beautiful homes and, you know, freedom to have a lovely retirement. Thank you both so much. I really appreciated this and enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. People, people who need Special people 
But first be a person who needs peace. 